because I, I see the improvements and I don't bite off too much. I'm not biting off way more than I can. If you see me on Sunday, look for my passion. You'll see it. It's because I believe in smiling. Uh, and, and, and Kipchoge is the one who says, you know, smile through the pain because you know your suffering is going to come. But don't be afraid to, to embrace the moment and live in the moment. And because I, I sort of slowly eat, eating away at these chunks, um, that's sort of where I'm at. I know I'm going to hit a peak. I don't know when that peak is, um, but I essentially know that I'm, I'm, I'm genuinely not going to bow out when I'm, I'm enjoying it and, and, and living the dream I call it, John. Hello and welcome back to another episode of No Finish Line Podcast. And today I'm joined by Wayne Spies, Wayne is an Australian international ultra runner. We're here in Hyderabad, India for the 50km World Championships, which is to happen on Sunday, the 5th of November. So Wayne recently set an over 50s record for the Comrades Ultramarathon. The Comrades is an 87km race that happens in South Africa every year. It's seen as the most competitive ultramarathon in the world. And Wayne has broken an 11-year-old Masters record that was set by three-time champion and Olympian Vladimir Kostov. The record stood for 11 years. And Wayne has set the new bar at 5 hours 42. The previous record was 5 hours 48 and 12 seconds. So Wayne started running at 39 years of age. That was back in 2022. He ran a 50k best time at back then of 4 hours 31 and 19 seconds and in 2022 he set a 50 kilometer pb of 2 hours 59 and 54 so wayne welcome to the podcast thanks for joining me ah oh, thank you so much john absolute pleasure pleasure to be here with you in hyderabad and yeah just have a, a chat all things running now as i mentioned you started running quite late in life you were 39 years old what got you involved in running why why did you go and do that first race well, firstly, John, I'm just like a good wine. I just seem to enjoy things and get better with time. So certainly, um, yeah, you know, life just uh, sort of got in the way um, as such. Um, I ran a bit when I was younger, uh, but then I met uh, my beautiful wife and, and family and, yeah, decided to put running on the back seat. Uh, but certainly we decided to pick it up later on and, and, and discover that, yeah, it's never too late if you commit to something and if you uh, put your heart and discipline into something. Um, that you can achieve your goals at what in any given age. I mentioned the 50k back in 2012, but you ran the Comrades back in 1996, and your first your your first run at the Comrades you finished in 10 hours 54 and 19 seconds, which is a huge difference to what you did now. What was the temptation to run the Comrades? Well, it was just growing up. I was always had an interest around watching Comrades. And um, at, as such, as a young person, I decided that I'd like to have a go and, and, and see how I'd go at, at the Comrades. And of course, uh, if you look at the times and, and if we rewind and if I had the opportunity to talk to that same Wayne, I'd ask him, what are you doing <laughs> with, with trying to take on such a huge goal without seriously knowing what you're getting into? So yeah, um, basically, um, I'd, I, I, I said that I'd never do it again. I'd never attempt to do anything like that again. But it's always something that sits in the back of your mind and said, you know, you, you look at hindsight and you say, no, hang on. With a bit of foresight, I can actually go and, and, and look at having a good crack at this. And this is something that sat there burning with the desire that's saying, no, I can go back and, and achieve something better. And the following year, you went back, 1997. And most people would look to improve on their time the following year, but you were slightly slower. You finished in <laughs> 10.55.35. <laughs> Did that make you think you had a talent for the sport when you were when you weren't? No, it's, I'm not saying you weren't improving, but your time was still in and around the same. So, did that make you think that maybe this is the level I'm at? Uh, that was more a case of wanting to tick off something in the bucket list because if you know the Comrades Marathon, you get an up run and a down run. So my first one was obviously uh, the down, and then I obviously no, the first one was the up run. Was the up? Oh yeah, sorry. So no, I I did. To rewind to that, John, um, uh, I had actually at a younger age in 91 attempted Comrades and not finished it. Okay. So uh, I'd gone back. That was a down run. And I went back in, in 96 and did the up run. And then I said, no, I'd like to finish the down run. 
So either one of them, I wasn't a success at, to cut a long story short. Um, we, we only met for the first time today, a couple of hours ago. So I, I had to rush my research, but I, yeah, there you go. No, so I, I, I missed that first race. So. And then in 2012, a few years later, you you'd ran your next ultramarathon, which was the Two Oceans. That's a 50 kilometer race. And you finished, oh, sorry, the the two oceans is longer than 50k but you get a 50 a 50 kilometer split during the race and that was 431 19 again that's not overly impressive and i'm not saying there's anything wrong with it but for someone at the level that you're at now that is not an impressive time so again what made you think that you had a talent for this because something you must have get a, getting a shift in your confidence that made you stick with the sport and train that bit harder because to go from as I just mentioned there, 10.54.19 in the Comrades to a finish time of 5.42. That's just incredible. That's, it's hard to believe. Absolutely. I know exactly um, what you're trying to say, John. And this is where um, in sitting with, I've got good friends in the running circle and listening to their stories and always basically trying to say that anyone can achieve good times with consistency and hard work as possible. It had me dreaming then saying, believing that, hang on, if I try this, I can do it. So even though it took a, a, a progressive period of time, um, I stayed committed to the goal and I believed that I could achieve it. So yeah, to, to answer your question is that knowing that if you plug away at anything um, and, and you stay patient, you can see success come with time. So in 2014, then you went under three hours, or so under four hours for 50K. And that was in uh, a race in Australia. Was that a confidence boost, breaking four hours? Absolutely. Each time I, I would challenge and take on um, the marathon and eventually the ultramarathon, obviously, I knew that I could feel myself improving slowly and I could feel uh, that the progression was coming and I just had to stay patient. So I kept believing in myself. And as much as it was still relatively slow, I knew I could see I could see the goal that was sitting in front of me. And what's your marathon PB? <laughs> it is currently 2.25. Oh, that's something else. And what was your first marathon? Do you remember? My first one was back in 1991 um, in a time of three hours and 48 minutes. Okay, well, that's okay for your, for your first <laughs> marathon. But to go down to 2.25, that's a lot of... To break three hours is a challenge. Absolutely. Um, I think w when I look at... Um, if, if, if I sort of bundle down and, and get to the nitty gritty, it, it, it's more a case of determining or trying to determine where I want to go and getting the right advice. So for me, I'm a nuts and bolts kind of guy. If I, if I want to know how to get to things, I do my research. So I started plugging away, researching and decided, no, I needed a coach. And when I got involved uh, with a gentleman called Don Wallace and eventually who was an Australian great runner, um, he sort of put me on to um, ideas that, that made me start to shift my, my trail of thinking in terms of needing to uh, restructure my training and get stronger in order to, to tackle the ultra challenge. Now, without mentioning paces, what would a typical training week be like? On average, in, in terms of when I'm uh, peaking for training, uh, 180 Ks per week. Um, that's sort of my guide. But if I'm sort of out of training, it's generally 120 to 140 to stay consistent. And what would your key sessions be? Key sessions are essentially what I call the bread and butter for me of training. Um, lots of people don't like, like it, but I love it. Uh, it's generally heel sessions and heel work. I love heel work. I've, I've learned the secret in terms of, I call it cheating for speed, which is basically uh, strength-based training, which is uh, essentially lots of heel work. Um, which, is, which revolves around uh, sort of techniques that I've learned along the way uh, that are designed to strengthen um, and help sustain you, especially during the, the tougher periods um, of the ultramarathon. Can you explain one of your hill sessions? Sure. Um, so one of my sessions that I love uh, and, and absolutely um, I've sort of I've, I've got to um, form a passion with is, is what they call springing and bounding. Um, so what, what, what's involved with that, anyone can Google a bounding up hills. It's basically striding uh, and, and, and jumping and leaping forward in an upwards direction. 
um, on a hilt. But basically that's designed to strengthen everything in your core area and your hip flexor for driving. Um, it's tough. <laughs> it, it takes a lot of character building uh, to, to obviously to nail it. But that's, that's what's been the key to my success. That sounds like a session that became popular with the philosophy of Arthur Lydiard. Absolutely, you're onto John. Yeah, and also the kind of distances that you're running per week, that sounds quite similar. One of his sayings was, miles make champions, that a lot of the benefits will actually come from increasing the volume. I think nowadays a lot of people are looking for shortcuts and hacks, and they're looking at just running as fast as they can, whenever they can, and they don't add in the other stuff, like the easy running and the strength-based sessions like what you mentioned there. So Absolutely. that makes perfect sense. What would a long run be like? How, how would the pace differ during for your long run compared to maybe uh, a tempo run? Absolutely. So if I were having a long run, it would be right now. Uh, not literally in a sense, but my long runs are basically a conversational pace like this. So I know everything's by feel. But if I'm doing a long run, it must be, I know I must be able to have a conversation. So that's my secret is to maintain uh, that conversational pace. And it's, it's got to feel comfortable, got to feel easy, because that's where I'm building, uh, the, I call it the building blocks of the mitochondria uh, of the power cells within the muscle. So the long run is essentially something that's got to be something enjoyable um, and, and, and feel really comfortable towards um, sort of making sure that I'm, I'm, I'm obviously achieving and ticking, ticking goals as I go. What would your favourite distance be for a race? Oh, that's a great question, John. <laughs> uh, um, I've, I sort of seem to get better uh, on a personal level. I, I've worked out that I enjoy going um, further. Um, well, well I'm, I'm seem to be enjoying that. So to answer your question is that um, in as much as a marathon is a challenge, um, going further... Uh, sort of just gives me more of an edge in terms of if I pace it well, I seem to enjoy it well. Um, this year at Comrades, um, the 87.8 kilometres for me seemed comfortable and like I could have kept going. Um, so I'd, I'd like to have a crack at actually going a little further and perhaps tackling the 100k. But to answer your question, my, my favourite uh, distance at this point in time is actually 50k. I seem to enjoy that. Okay, because I was just going to ask you, will you find the 50k a bit of a challenge because it's in between the races that you have been doing? No, I think um, to, 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 to get to that, um, the sessions that I've been doing leading up to this have made the standard distance, standard marathon distance of 26 miles um, feel comfortable for me. Uh, I just ran a marathon uh, exactly four weeks ago in training for today and ran that comfortably uh, if in a marathon pace that I, I never thought possible going back four years ago. So I ran 2.29 at Chicago um, at conversational pace and uh, recovered like that. The next day I, I'd done a 20-mile run. So, yeah, I've, I've basically um, learned to extend my aerobic function and all my sessions are geared to, to, to going longer, which is basically going to give me the edge I feel in terms of getting those last 8Ks or so um, for the 50k on Sunday. With a training race so close to a goal race, do you find it hard to stay disciplined and not get competitive? <laughs> because to, to go under 2.30 in a race like that and you know that there is a chance of you doing really well in it, how do you resist that temptation? Well, John, that's a great question. Why I'm having a smile is because that's exactly what my coach said to me. He says, look, the aim is to run slightly under 2.30, go through halfway in 74 minutes and see if I can just sort of ease up in the second half. The temptation at 20 miles at Chicago to go faster was well and truly on because I was feeling so good and that's where the discipline comes in. Um, in the progression I've had in the last two years, um, I've attempted the exact same theory at, at other races and seem to achieve uh, reasonable success with doing it. So absolutely down to your question, um, the temptation to go is there because you're feeling so good and you've been uh, you know, you know, obviously building towards something. Yeah, it must be really difficult, especially when you're having such a good year. That can boost the ego and ego can be the enemy absolutely. when you're trying to because there's an expectation on you and when people are looking at you and then thinking, oh, I thought you would have done better than that. And you have to say, well, I can do better than that, but I didn't want to because. 
You know, John, it's like the, the way you're talking there is I've had this exact conversation with my best friend, who's my wife. And if she she was listening and was sitting here right now, she'd see exactly that. Because she looked into, she, we looked at each other and she said to me, just stay focused and, and, and put the ego at bay in terms of making sure that you stick to it. I think um, the, the great Bruce Fordyce once said that um, the challenge is obviously to use uh, training runs, uh, use races as, tra- as training runs, um, is to, to see what you made of mentally in terms of restraining and holding back. So in as much as you know you're capable of better, you've got to think of the goal. So Hyderabad was obviously always the goal, uh, and hence my reason for um, making sure I stayed comfortable. And, and knowing that I ticked that box is that my training um, or my recovery was rapid and instant, and I had no um, sort of fort get with, with doms or anything like that the next day or so. And I, I do think that races can be good as training runs, but people forget that you're not training just to hold yourself back in the race, you're, you're getting yourself used to the race day anxiety, the crowds, the race day breakfast, checking out your kit and working on the, the mental side of it. It's not just being in a race, it's all the peripherals that, that go with it. When you mentioned Chicago, was that a long flight from Australia? Yes, it was absolutely. I think that was the worst part of, uh, I'd call that my endurance effort, was getting across to the States. Um, but I was fortunate enough because I, I'd broken that up um, by stopping over before getting there. But, but it essentially was a long, long trip to get there. Now, do you think that if the flight didn't go to plan, that you had a bad race, that that might have affecting your confidence coming uh, back from Chicago? No, no, not at all, John. It's because I'm, I'm very focused. Um, I have uh, Coach Dave Adams is, is the gentleman who looks after me. Um, we have a plan in place. And um, it's been a progressive one in terms of uh, ticking boxes along the way. Um, so obviously with each year, uh, my personal goal, and I'll share it with you, is to see a progression um, that's not diminished um, quickly, but, uh, but we see it over time. And like I said to you at the beginning of the conversation, uh, I feel like I genuinely feel like a fine wine in that um, I still feel so good and it's, 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 it's still coming. And that's what's making me hungrier, John, is that because I, I see the improvements and I don't bite off too much, I'm not biting off way more than I can chew. I'm just progressively having a chunk. And, and that's what's keeping me in love and even the passion. Um, if you saw me running and if you see me on Sunday and look for my passion, you'll see it. It's because I believe in smiling. Uh, and, and, and Kipchoge is the one who says, you know, smile through the pain because you know your suffering is going to come. But don't be afraid to, to embrace the moment and live in the moment and because I, I sort of slowly eating eating away at these chunks um, that's sort of where I'm at I know I'm going to hit a peak I don't know when that peak is um, but I essentially know that I'm, I'm, I'm genuinely not going to bow out when I'm, I'm enjoying it and, and, and living the dream I call it John that would have been a great way to end the podcast <laughs> but I, we, we've only got started and each time you say something I'm coming up with more questions and you're actually you're reigniting that flame that's inside me as well <laughs> So what I'm wondering now is, when did you discover that you had a talent for this? Because you didn't have, there was no science that it had at the beginning, no offence, but <laughs> when is. did you realise that? Well, I think when I generally came up, and believe me, John, even as much as I've only just met you, um, having kids has changed my life. Um, so I have two boys. Uh, my son has just started, the, um, he's privileged enough to get a scholarship and, and go to university um, in the States, and, and he's, he's basically studying there. Um, but when I met, uh, well, my two sons came into the world, um, my job was to obviously guide and govern them and give them the best that I can in terms of a value system. But, um, yeah, when I started out running, I remember my son's only been a tender age of seven and eight when I got into it. Um, they would always be there and watch me and motivate me and guide me. But believe me, if, if, if I had to sort of have you next to me and to tell you who encouraged me the most, it's been my wife and my two sons. Because my sons always said to me, Dad, I believe you're better than this and you can do it. And he's been 
in as much as they say you you know you never discount the fact that you can learn from anyone i've learned so much from my from my family in the sense that they've always encouraged me and told me they can see more he's been like a, a little guru sit on sat on my shoulder and told me you can achieve these things so yeah he's always been there or they've always been there to tell me you can do it and you, and you can improve and you can see this and through the journey and them coming to to help me out uh, and second me at races and events They've been they've been quietly stoking the fire that's been getting me there, getting there, and I've sort of been like one of those. It's like, is this really happening? Um, but obviously, feeding off uh, what they tell me every day. It's like someone's saying, look into your eyes, and they say, you know, they're telling you they love you, but genuinely, you know, you you're reciprocating and and accepting that, and that's exactly what sort of stoked me and kept me going along the way. So that encouragement has kept the fire burning. Yes, and people around you notice what you do more than what you say. So you're being a positive role model. Absolutely. And it's kind of working both ways, isn't it? It's a bit Absolutely. of give and take there. Absolutely. You're creating John. that environment. Absolutely. So that's then, when you notice that you were getting somewhere, you mentioned <laughs> uh, getting involved with a coach. Did you find it hard being told what to do? No, no, not at all. I'm the most easygoing guy, John. I, 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 I'm the kind of guy like, you know, I can listen to anyone and, 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 and see what they're saying and take the advice on board. And like I say, eat the meat and spit out the bones is something that, that, that I live by. Um, you can learn anything from anyone, but I also uh, sort of shut off all the, the surround sound. So, yeah, I'm not afraid to take on any advice, but obviously choose wisely in terms of, what what I can gain from it, yeah. Now you sound very humble, <laughs> but there must be some bit of confidence there. So I'm wondering now with the comrades this year when you broke the over 50s record, did you go into that race racing or did you go in specifically to pace yourself to get that record? No, so I basically, I, I went to comrades this year with the plan that I had in place in terms of the progression. Um, last comrades, which is 2022, um, my goal was to break six hours, and I honestly, just missed I just missed it by 90 seconds, just over 90 seconds. And you'd think that most people would be gutted. And I remember crossing the line because uh, I had some friends back in South Africa who were live streaming it, and uh, my wife was on, on the phone on the other end, and because and, I'd, I'd basically achieved what they call a green number at that time at Comrades. And she was in tears saying, oh, you've missed it. And I said, no, 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 the opportunity is still there. I can still see it. It's just not my time, um, which is why I live by, by seasons and believing that your time will come when your time is right. And essentially, that's something that I live by. And, and, and it, that fire just was so burning so bright at the end of 22 that I could achieve it. And, of course, that's what I kept doing, uh, John. Instead of backing down and saying that's the end of it, I said, no, let's fight and let's go for it. So I trained hard, worked hard uh, for the next nine months because comrades were short between 22 and 23. Um, and I kept that fire burning. And I knew I'm coming back with business. So start line um, uh, earlier this year in June at comrades in Peter Maritzburg, I'm in business. And if you saw me at the start line, you could see that burning passion in my eyes. And I knew it was on. And the comrades that you ran before 2022 was 2019. Correct. And you ran 6.21.57. So that was a 20-minute PB. Now, isn't it amazing that a PB in ultra-running terms can be in lots of minutes, whereby a PB in your marathon can be very, very small, like seconds. Minutes is, is uncommon. What do you think is the reason for that? Um, I think, again, it's, again, sticking to the goal and not trying to get to where I need to be too soon. And, again, I think peaking for me, like I said earlier in the conversation, I feel I still haven't peaked because there's still so much uh, left to achieve. That's what I believe. And, like I keep encouraging anyone, is that... um, You've, you've got to be progressive is a word that I use frequently, progressive in terms of trying to, um, it's like falling in love, Martin, you know, I've been married. Hey, I'm not married. <laughs> oh, sorry. Mar- Martin is Katrina's husband. <laughs> sorry, John. <laughs> no, we've been talking a bit about Martin, uh, Martin Katrina's husband earlier. So, um, no, sorry, John. It's, it's, it's basically, uh, yeah, about falling in love. It's, it's a passion that you don't want to lose it and you want it to, to, to stay there because it's a long-term thing, you know. And I've been married uh, just over 20 years uh, to my beautiful wife and it's, 
um, it, it seems she, she, we, we get better with time. We have that relationship where, um, yeah, we get better with time. And that's the same sort of relationship, uh, relationship I have with my running. Now, I'm um, going to bring it back to the training again there <laughs> because you're not giving away any secrets. Do okay. you think that ultra running is strength-based? Absolutely. So to, to your point and to get to that point is that uh, you you need strength, especially in the in the second half of an ultra marathon. So the secret to me improving and seeing the improvement is basically um, I knew within myself I've got this engine, this aerobic engine that's working well, but I just didn't have the right sort of chassis. Uh, chassis. Oh, you've taken them! It's like taking the words out of my mouth. But I didn't have the chassis to hold it together. So that's what I worked on strengthening that chassis. And a part of my routine, if you're ever in, in Brisbane, Australia, you're welcome to my home. And you can see I've, I've, I've basically turned one of my rooms into a gymnasium where we work out and, and I do the strength-based stuff that I need to, to get strong. So if you see me, uh, you think, uh, looking at my times, that I'm a big strappy young lad, but I'm, I'm only 55 kilos of, pure, okay. of pure muscle. <laughs> that's a lot of leg. <laughs> Absolutely, John. So yeah, that's what I'm. I, my secret is is, is just um, been developing that strength that I need to get me through that finish line, which has become a, a part of my staple diet now. You started with a very long ultra marathon, the Comrades, eighty-seven kilometers. Had you run marathons before that? Yes, so I had attempted marathons, and obviously. Oh, yeah, we already said that. Yes, yes. Well, I was just wondering what you would recommend for somebody who was maybe contemplating doing an ultramarathon, what way would you start? So again, I would say, you know, not, not biting too much, biting off too much, and it makes you lose the passion, desire to go further. So start in small chunks, you know, you know if, if, you've, if you've been doing half marathons and progressively working towards the marathon and looking for something um, more of a challenge, that's when you can look and take in on the further distances because what you need to realize is obviously the further as the further you go you obviously you need to slow the pace down and that's why i enjoy ultra running and i know that um even as i said with you i'll disclose it i've never run a hundred kilometer race and that's something that i'd like to do and without sounding arrogant um or or, or being looking too far into the future I, i believe that i have it within myself um, to run the ability to run a, a good hundred kilometer road race, and that's my little goal that I'd like to to work towards. And although we're saying slow the pace down, the races still aren't slow. The races are quite fast, aren't they? Absolutely. So if I look at uh, the average pace uh, we were sort of doing at Comrades, which is got a fair bit of vert in it, and obviously we we we, we, we go through ups and downs in Comrades. Um, yeah, it was just just over three minutes and fifty for, per kilometer for ni- for almost ninety kilometers. So you're moving along at a, at a swift pace. Yeah, that's over fifteen kilometers an hour. That's correct. Well and truly over. And um, to show you that how the strength based training worked, and if I look at the history and I sat down with you. Um, it's the first time in Comrades where I negative split it, which is obviously the ability to run the second half. Which is difficult, especially not the distance. Not easy. And that's what, um, uh, if you saw me at the finish line at Comrades this year, John, uh, you'd see me. I was like a kid in the candy store um, because I, I felt like I could have kept going, which is where I knew I've, I've, I've cooked this recipe well and truly um, to the point where I was, I was just loving what I was uh, feeling. When you were coming towards the end of it, did you start racing or would you be someone who would, would stay in control to know what your limits are to prevent yourself from overdoing it? Because it's a fine line, especially when you have to ration out your energy for such a long distance. Absolutely. So I think to your point was my goal and plan in, in, in talking to my coach, once we get through Pine Town, which in, in, at the Comrades is, is just over half marathon to go, coach said to me if you're feeling well because it, it, it's, it's gently downhill from there you, you can turn it up so if you look at my splits when I got there um, I started to go I could feel the strength based training is, is there the legs are strong which is something I never had in the past um, and obviously last year um, where I failed dismally but essentially knew that hang on I've got legs I can I can keep going here yeah, so uh, to your point is that instead of slowing down I started to get quicker and, you know, I was within myself staying controlled, but also saying, hang on, you, you've got this um, definitely by the short and curly. So, so take it, be confident and grab it and go for it. You've worked hard for it. So go for it. And that's exactly what I did. How important do you think your marathon time is with 
predicting your time in a longer race? It's an accurate indicator. So if I show you my marathon times, uh, so I only do about, on average, uh, three marathons a year. Um, I don't generally don't believe I, I race them too hard, but if you look at my marathons in the last two years, they've all averaged around that 227 mark. So definitely, if you want to see improvements over the longer stuff, you have to get quicker over the marathon. Uh, that's my personal belief, is that you have to see those improvements. Now, when you say you only do three a year, would that be three racing the marathons or would you do a few others as training races? Uh, so three harder efforts, I'd say. Three harder efforts where they'd be more tempo runs sitting at that threshold level, which means um, I, I don't sort of break the bank and I'm, I'm essentially right where I need to be. Yeah, now the reason I mentioned that is because in 2018, you ran five ultra-distance races, which is quite a lot. Would you have raced all of those or would you have paced yourself or... Is that a time when you didn't have the kind of background knowledge that you have now? You are on to it. 2018 was that, se- that part of season where I was building and I could feel that, hang on, I'm at a point in my, in my, my career, where, in, in my running career, where things are getting exactly where I need to be. And I was testing out what needs to be done. And I could feel it coming. It's like that passion and that, that, that burning desire were, that, that everything's coming together, but stay patient. So that's exactly where I was. I can't remember if I asked you this question, but what is your favourite race? Your actual race, not just distance. Um, oh, that's an easy one to answer. If you talk to Katrina, talk to anyone else. I've done 11 Comrades. Uh, so my favourite race is the Comrades Marathon. Uh, absolutely, uh, I, I, I love it. I have a passion with it. And now that I've seen that progression over time, um, it's just, yeah, it's obviously even more um, of a favourite and anyone wants to talk comrades we can sit here and talk for the next two or three hours and wait for Martin to come and still talk about it because I, I watch people um, also get ignited just from, from us talking about it and wanting to get involved and that's why so many people uh, get that, that, that bug as well and we just mentioned that Katrina Jennings is in the room we're waiting on Martin to arrive from Hong Kong <laughs> that's right he's on a later flight and Martin's got that bug for comrades too yeah. which is which well, is we, we, we get Martin again in 2018 as I just mentioned you ran three races in South Africa and two in Australia that's a lot of travelling for a race and do you like comrades because it now likes you or did you always like it I think it's a it's a mutual affair it's a mutual affair uh, a great question because um I've raced all over the the world, especially in, in the last few years, and I, and I'm yet to find. And you can speak to anyone who's done it personally, an event that is uh, so passionate and driven uh, in terms of um, the people you see along the way, the encouragement you get from fellow competitors, um, and and it's and sets huge sense of achievement um, in terms of. Um, at the end of the race in terms of knowing the build that you lead to it. Um, I have something that I can share with you on a secret. Um, oh, it's not a secret, but I'm also involved in... Well, you can save this <laughs> later in the moment until you switch off. Because you shouldn't be giving away secrets until no, after no, the race. No, when I say that, it's World Vision. I'm involved with World Vision. Oh, I, yes. I'm an ambassador yeah, for World okay. Vision. And around my neck, I, I wear a little set of beads um, that is, is quite synonymous with, with uh, my um, active involvement with World Vision and in South Africa and just helping connect with the community and give back in some way yeah, just in terms of, of stuff that they need like, like clothing and shoes and that sort of thing so I'm actively involved in getting the corporate sector involved uh, in helping out and, and giving back in some way uh, which, which I have a lot of pride in and that gives a sense of responsibility absolutely and one of the questions I was going to just touch on when you mentioned earlier when we were talking about role models and that you've kind of explained what your why is so you have reasons to be doing what you're doing now as well. It's, it's not just for yourself. Absolutely. So in life, I believe that um, to achieve success, and this is my humble opinion, uh, you need to find ways to give back. Um, and in giving back or paying it forward, um, you get so much in return. I could touch wood next to you and say that I'm blessed in the sense that because of what I've learned from so many others along the way in my running journey, um, has never I've never picked up any significant injury or anything like that. And I believe one of the things is obviously always been open to, to, to receiving help from others in terms of how you can get strong uh, in a mental aspect and, and just by helping someone in a small way and giving without seeing a return um, opens doors to many, many, uh, too much success, which is the exact position I'm sitting in right now. 
Now, I'm not going to ask if you have a race plan, as I know you do. You had a race plan before you left Australia. Since arriving, has that plan changed? Absolutely hasn't changed at all. So The reason Sunday. I'm asking that is, <laughs> at the 50km European Championships in Spain last year, I was with, went for a run with Katrina, and Katrina had a plan before the race, but the environmental conditions and the ground kind of changed the plan a bit, so she was adaptable. I was also talking to another runner, who had a race plan and they stuck with it and they didn't have the same race as Katrina. Katrina actually went on to win that race and she was she is the current European champion but she adapted to the race conditions. Now on arrival here my first time in India I did notice that the air quality is not what I'm used to and I haven't managed to go for a run outside so I think that if I had a plan that my plan would slightly change based on what I'm experiencing now. So that's the reason why I asked that question, but you said, no, your race hasn't, plan hasn't changed. So what will your fueling be like during the race? So it's a great question that you ask, and I obviously did my research and 100% research into to where I'm at. So to tell you, since Chicago, I, I've seen average temperatures there of 10 degrees, which is cold for me. Um, I work in a hostile environment. Uh, so in terms of temperatures, for the last 22 days I've been training, I call it my poor man's altitude training camp. I've been training in averages, and, and this is the, the, the gospel truth, of 40 degrees Celsius. Um, and I've basically learned how to fuel in those difficult conditions. I went for the first time this morning uh, with my two teammates for a run out here, and it was pretty warm um, and, and, and reasonably humid, but not too bad. And if I tell you what my average heart rate was, um, I knew I'm, I'm, I'm in for um, a solid run on Sunday because I've been exposed to something uh, a lot worse than this. The humidity that I face and the extreme temperatures that I've faced in the last 22 days has been absolutely appalling. And if I tell you what I've put myself through um, to get here today, um, I'm sitting here with a quiet confidence that my plan should go. Uh, it's exactly, my race should go exactly according to plan on Sunday, confidently. When you mention your heart rate, will your heart rate be something that you will use during the race, or would you be somebody who would be looking at, at pace? So again, to answer that, I, I constantly monitor heart rate for effort to see where I'm at. I, I do wear a heart rate monitor, a strap on my chest. What's the strap? Is it polar, out of curiosity? No, Garmin. It's Garmin, Garmin. Okay. yes. So and I do you find that. that the Garmin heart rate strap is... is quite so it's a lot more accurate than what you get from from the wrist no the optical heart rate uh, to me in my opinion and i've used it is 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 in, inaccurate in many senses i find the strap a lot more accurate in terms of what yes, i need to there, see there's a big difference between the uh, strap that you wear around your chest and one of the reasons for that is when you're working at close to maximal there's an extra demand for oxygenated blood to the work of muscle which are the legs so the blood flow to the arms will be restricted but with the heart rate strap that's on your chest, that takes an electrical impulse from your heart and Spot there will on. always be a blood flow there. Yes. So that blood flow will never be interrupted whereby from your wrist it will. So what generally happens with the wrist then is it starts to work out an average over a longer space of time. Spot on. So I just wanted to add that in for somebody <laughs> who's listening just to give a little bit of an explanation. Not saying that you didn't know, but no, no, just no, take absolutely. that opportunity. So if, if you were... I don't want to ask, I suppose, get, get too kind of technical, but during the race, if you felt that your heart rate was a bit higher and a bit more elevated than it should be, would you start to then maybe go by your, your kind of perception of feel that would be kind of guided as well by the people around you? If you get involved in a race and you think, well, this isn't looking as it should do as far as I want it to be during a race. So when do you know when you can... Uh, opposed take a chance Absolutely. by how you're feeling am I saying am I asking that no, question no no you're right? correct it's obviously heart rate is there it's like having a coach sitting on your shoulder so by watching that it can, I can see exactly where I need to be obviously different things affect you like 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 temperatures and, and, in, and the environment um, on the morning I could wake up and not feel well um, so I've got to monitor all of that um, that's what happened to me at Comrades is that I could looking at the heart rate uh, I knew that cardiovascularly I was right where I needed to be 
So in that sweet spot, um, obviously if I'm not and, and I can see things on right or if it's, it, it's for some reason the weather's going to change and we're going to have an extremely hostile day, um, I've got to cut things back and be realistic. Um, but if, you know... It's it, hard to do that when you're competitive though. Yes, no, that, that's what I'm saying is those juices will flow. Um, I, there's many examples that I can tell you and uh, where you look at people and you say, yep, my race is gone. Um, I spoke to Katrina um, uh, at Comrades this year and she can tell you honestly two days before is that she wasn't feeling well and, and she could see that things, uh, she may have to call uh, pull the pin as such. Um, but my advice to her was, hang on, uh, have start it off and see how you feel. And, and, and if you do feel good, yeah, you can certainly pick up. And, yeah, the rest is history, you know. And Katrina finished fifth <laughs> in this on. year's race. Spot on. So, you, you know, if we go back to that conversation, if she'd sort of given up and not hadn't attempted it, um, we could have had a different story in that regard. So, yeah, come Sunday, um, I've got to stick to the plan, uh, not be afraid to obviously take up the challenge and, if need be, um, hold back um, and look after myself as such. You mentioned the way you had been training recently, so that should help with your acclimatization to the conditions. What way will you fuel yourself during the race? Will it be mainly fluids or will you take gels or will you take a fluid that contains a carbohydrate? So essentially I've got a combination of both. I've got a carb source in a drink that I use. Um, but I look at, for me, uh, I use the formula we use, obviously, one gram of carb per weight. So for me, if I can get roughly 60 grams of carb per hour, that's exactly where I need to be. That consists for me of, generally speaking, um, one to two gels and, and a bit of my carb source drink. So I don't have much of, of drink. I've got three little bottles that I use, which is only 250 mils, uh, and, and I've got an average of four gels that I'll use on Sunday. And that for me is more than enough in terms of what I need for my fueling source. The one thing that people don't use, which has become an absolute go-to for me is, is getting the electrolyte in. So I also take a salt tablet um, that keeps and, and sustains the electrolyte level, which keeps everything where I need to be in terms of making sure that I don't cramp or get into any serious trouble there. Did you bring water bottles with you from Australia? <laughs> because someone I know didn't bring water bottles and we had to go looking for water bottles well, with the right top. John, if you came with me to my room right now, which is just uh, a couple of doors away, um, I've got water bottles that I've brought with me from Australia and they're all labelled by my beautiful family and special messages on them for me, which is, um, which is my, my go-to. Let's talk about troubleshooting during the race. Have you <laughs> had any races where you started to get cramping problems or that you've taken too much carbohydrate in her okay so to this question to answer it sorry jumping johnny yes i have had and how have you sorted that problem right so this is what i've learned from a few people who've done distance running if you experience cramp at any certain point in the race doesn't matter where that's your body's way of telling you that you're weak and you need to make that strong there's something wrong or you're deficient in what you're getting into the body so we're going to a different discussion now however that's what I'd learned. And I used to experience terrible uh, cramps just within my, my hamstring and my, my little um, my ductal area. So I basically had to go and learn to how to fuel correctly and look after my body in terms of wh what I wasn't taking in the cut along so short was getting enough electrolyte into me. Once I got that under control and strengthened those particular areas, the cramping issue has been non-existent. Are electrolytes something you can stock up on? or must you be taking them during the race? I believe you have to take them during the race as well. A lot of people concentrate on carb and forget about electrolyte. So finding the balance is an essential art. Has cramp ever stopped you in a race? Oh, it has stopped me. It has buckled me, um, you know. Um, but but I've, like I said, what's, what I've improved, what, what's, what's pushed that away is essentially improving my mileage. I believe if I improve my mileage base, the cramps stay at bay. I know I'm not where I need to be if I'm cramping um, on the longer runs and longer sessions, tempo sessions that I do in training. Now, apart from muscle cramping, have you ever experienced gastrointestinal issues from taking in more <laughs> carbohydrate than you were allowed? Because you mentioned 60 grams of carbohydrate yes. an hour, but an hour in a race isn't a clock error. An error is, you know, if the body is trying to absorb the carbohydrate, it's kind of an error from whenever you start taking it. So it's very easy to overconsume. That's correct. So I've never, to answer your question, I've never really had any gastro problems as such. With me, I'm lactose intolerant, so that's a different story. Um, because obviously, if I take any dairy, 
in the in the 24 hours leading to it then i'm going to have issues as such which funny enough did happen to me at comrades this year um, i had to do a toilet stop at, at, in the first hour um, but that that was something that we sorted out so what would you do if you got a, an issue with your stomach during the race would you try and dilute it with more with water or yes yeah, so i know like obviously if i've i've practiced my fueling in the lead up to the event so i know what's going to work but if i do encounter something that's not right um, I, I would obviously listen to the body. I would try and take on a little bit more water. We're not taking on too much water, but trying to flush that through. Um, I've never been to that point where I've had to, uh, you know, try and bring up whatever I've, I've, I've taken or whatever. But essentially, yeah, I'd, I'd make sure that leading up to it, I do nothing different in those, especially the last 24, 48 hours before an event. Yeah, I noticed that a lot of runners take in more carbohydrate than their body can tolerate. And they do it on race day whereby they haven't trained their gut to be able to absorb that. So they don't know what their tolerance is. Yes. And then they stop their race, the DNF, because they have a problem with their stomach. But a lot of these problems are avoidable and also they're fixable. If you know what the problem is and you've experienced it before, would you agree? Absolutely. And that's why I'm listening to you and I'm trying to, I'm saying, yep, it's like you're talking to, you're preaching to the converter because 100%, you know, taking on, especially in the last, uh, I break the race down into three thirds, but that last third, uh, you're almost sick of taking in carbs. Um, For me, especially when I come to the longer stuff and I'm telling you all my secrets now, John. (laughs) I can edit this out now if you want. (laughs) No, 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 it's not. Um, I take on uh, carb, but I also have, uh, I love hot cross buns. Uh, I don't know if this is something that I've just always just been drawn to a hot cross bun. So if I take you down to my my bag of tricks, um, I have two hot cross buns. One I'll consume um, on the morning um, in my breakfast time, um, just with a bit of peanut butter on. But essentially, I keep one. Uh, I've got a little pouch that I carry with me on on race day, and I nibble on that <laughs> through the course of the race. So. I combine that with my gels, and it keeps it all relative because I've, I've been training with this. Um, but it gives me a bit of, of, of a home as such because I love hot cross buns. So that's something that I eat in combination with my carb sauce. As you mentioned breakfast, we have an early start on Sunday. I think we're up at four or five o'clock. Breakfast is early. That's right. What will you have for breakfast? Oh, my breakfast is unique. <laughs> will you have breakfast in your room or will you go downstairs and have breakfast? No, I will go down, uh, downstairs and have some breakfast. But for me, it's just about um, to, to get to you. I, I basically just have a few slices um, of toast and uh, peanut butter and jam, which is my favorite uh, all-time breakfast of all time. Um, and the combination is having that with my hot cross bun um, and, and having a, a, a cup of, well, two cups of tea. Um, I like to go down and not sit in my room, it's just, just to get the feel and the atmosphere from all the other runners. I know Katrina likes oatmeal or porridge on race morning. I just, hopefully they have that down at the... They do actually, the they do have Oh, oatmeal. they do, okay, that's good. <laughs> do you think that the breakfast is at a time suitable for digestion before the race starts? Well, I believe you need to be fueled up, in my opinion, at least two and a half hours before it. However, you need to keep you know, have nibbling on something, especially in the last hour leading to it. So I believe that, yeah, you need to have your last sort of uh, bigger meal um, the, by the latest 90 minutes before uh, to, to get full digestion. What would your ideal post-race meal be? Oh, you don't want to be near me at a post-race meal, John, because I can eat. Uh, you look at me and you see where this fine specimen comes from. <laughs> but but I, I, um, for me, if I can find access to either a beautiful big burger with a double meat patty, um, we're in the game uh, because I, <laughs> I love to eat something greasy um, after an event. Obviously, I get my protein shaking as, as soon as I can for recovery. I'm glad you said that because I did a podcast there recently and we were mentioning the importance of kind of kickstarting the recovery mm-hmm. rather than just maybe going to a pub to, to get something into you. Now, you should celebrate when you finish. Absolutely. And you should go out and have, have something like what you mentioned that big burger to eat (laughs) and maybe if if you like a few drinks have a drink but you should get something nutritious into your forces like a sponge to dilute what else is coming in but also to kickstart the recovery process when the mitochondria are kind of hungry to draw that glycogen back into the muscles and after the race your your body is more receptive to glycogen uptake because 
when you start running, the muscles try to hold on to the glycogen that's in them. Mm-hmm. And then when they know it's needed, they open up. And if you could picture them, they're like sea urchins and they release that glycogen in. Then when the race ends, they start to draw whatever is circulating within the system and they pull it back into the muscle. So if you take a recovery drink, which is a mix of carbohydrate and protein, that is an opportunity for protein to be drawn into the muscles as well. So they say that the ideal time is within the first one to two hours after race or sooner than that because the mitochondria are wide open and they're ready to draw that back in. It's like you have cracks in the wall and what you're taking in is a drink that has cement mixed in with it and it's pulling that in to help the growth, repair and the adaption. John, that's the best description, and I'm being honest with you, and I'm, I'm not geeing you up, but that's the best description I've heard to, to, to honestly taking on active post-race recovery. I've never heard anyone so eloquently describe what needs to be done, oh. and far too many people... I was making part of it up as I went along. No, 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 but it's magic. Whatever you're doing is like poetry. For, I was just listening to you and I was mesmerized, because generally, far too many people, especially the, the club runner, sort of places far too little emphasis on recovery and the importance of recovery and that's why I was looking at you and I was almost hugging you to say you're you spot on in terms of um, describing it like you couldn't have described it better if anyone gets anything out of this just listen to what John just said about active recovery in terms of how receptive are your mitochondria on to, to what you're doing and that's something that I've incorporated and why I'm, I'm endorsing what you're saying is because after every session that I do I'm straight on to my recovery shake and getting that in and that's what's been a key to my in, in terms and it's, of my and it's success. so important oh it's usually important it's far too many people place too much emphasis on the build-up and forget about post now essentially yeah, i did tell you about a big juicy burger that i had but i just threw that in that's only a small part of the oh whole. absolutely absolutely so don't forget about looking after yourself after that it's, it's yeah it's, 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 it's so important and it's it's a very simple sport and people overcomplicate it 100 percent. it's a simple sport where it's hard work yeah absolutely and that's why I say, John, it's, it's about staying focused on the goal, looking after the body, because you can train as hard as you want to, but if you're not, you're not look, fueling yourself correctly and if you're not recovering correctly, it's, it's almost like doing, doing yourself a disservice in terms of going forward. And you can only do what you can recover from. Isn't that, isn't that it really? Spot on. See, the way you make it sound, John, is like a, it's, it's simple, but far too, many, far too many people complicate it. So you, you stick to the goal, stay, look after yourself and stay focused. I could go off on a rant now. is because they complicate it because they're looking at these influencers yeah. and looking at what they do. It's just a snapshot. Now, I think we've, we've gone through a lot and it is going to end up in a bit of a rant for me. So I'm going to wish you well for Sunday because... I don't have any men in the race. I don't have a dog in the fight. So I can wish you well. Thank and you so I'm going to be shouting for you. Legend. And for anybody listening in, if you enjoyed this or any of your podcasts, please leave a review on Spotify, pass it on to a friend, and until next time. Thank you so much, John. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. And I feel like we could keep going on in this conversation. Yeah, we, we could, but... Katrina is getting <laughs> hungry. So Katrina is our timekeeper. We're getting close on an error. <laughs> Thank you so much, John. Now it's been an absolute pleasure.